I invite you to uh, turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 1. Our text this morning will come from Exodus chapter 1, uh, verses 15 through 22. And I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Pua, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him, but if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Our Lord, we give you thanks for your word, and we pray now that you would soften our hearts and open our ears to hear what the Spirit speaks to us through it. Amen. Please be seated. Who do you fear? As you think about that, think about that question, there may be an initial response, well, I'm not really afraid of anybody, and if that's the case, then your thinking is unbiblical, uh, because the apostle Paul certainly thinks that we ought to be afraid of those who are in authority. It's a righteous thing to have a fear of those who are in authority. He says in Romans 13, verses 1 through 3, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. In other words, you ought to be afraid of agitating the person who is in authority. That is a reasonable and therefore righteous uh, command that comes from Scripture to us. And I read that passage to expose, perhaps, the precocious boldness of those who would claim to have no fear of anyone or anything. Uh, That's probably not true. I don't want to say it's completely untrue. If, if that maybe, maybe you really, really, really don't, but I have a biblically-based skepticism uh, about your assertion on the basis of what Paul says, and maybe you should have a biblically-based skepticism on the basis of what Paul has just said to us. It is reasonable and right to be afraid of certain people, especially those who are in authority. It is reasonable then, to some sense, to have a fear of men, to have fear of certain people, people in power, uh, and that that's, that fear of punishment is what ought to, in some way, at least keep you in line. Certainly, most children understand that, right? That when uh, kids, when you are tempted 
to reach for the cookie obviously that you're not allowed to have. Now, obviously, what speaks to your heart is a love for your parents and for your Savior and, and therefore a righteous, spirit-led impulse to not take the cookie. But bad children, whom you've probably met, uh, that, that what keeps them from grabbing the cookie is that there will be punishment, right? So that's, that's so, so we know that as kids and we know that as adults. The question really for us is not, are you afraid of men, but to what extent do you fear men? And does a fear of man crowd out the fear of God? That's the issue that is in our text this morning from Exodus chapter 1. Not being afraid, but who, of whom, are you afraid? Who do you fear? And in our text, of course, the Hebrew midwives did what was righteous, and they feared God. And so they are to us a model as Christians of how we should respond to this question of fear, that you ought to fear God because it's better to obey God than man. So in the first place, we'll see from our text this morning as we look at verses 15 through 19 that you are to fear God. Pharaoh has a plan, and of course, Pharaoh's plan was evil. Uh, I, I hope that's pretty obvious, but let's explore the particular manner in which it was evil. Uh, it was evil because he was calling for the death of little babies. He brings the Hebrew midwives to him, and he gives them this instruction. Uh, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him, but if it is a daughter, she shall live. Hebrew midwives, of course, assisted the, uh, assisted the women with their births. And Pharaoh, his plan is only to, with, or only announces his plan, shares his plans, gives the instructions just to the Hebrew midwives. It's a, in that sense then, it's a, it's a secret. And it has to be a secret if you give it some thought. And initially, that may not occur to you, but, but if you think about it for a second, this, the, the whole logic behind the plan is that if, as the baby is born, then you kill the baby, and then you tell the mother that it's a miscarriage. That's the only way it makes sense. Uh, to, the, the, that's, what, that's why you need to enlist the midwives in this strategy. And so to, so to lie to them, to, lie, to deceive the, the women about, their, about the status of their of their children, and not to let other people know that this is what's going on, to keep it, somehow to keep it secret. So it's interesting that Pharaoh feels a need to deceive, and it's curious like why, why he feels that way. Why doesn't he just announce, as he does at the end of the text, let's kill all the Hebrew baby boys? Uh, he doesn't do that to start with, and maybe he's ashamed uh, in most cultures, killing babies is not a positive thing, uh, but Maybe it's, maybe it's not shame. Maybe he's afraid of an open rebellion. He does have a fear that the, I'm sorry, that the Hebrews are going to rise up and become a disruptive force, a rebellion of fifth column within the nation of Egypt. After all, in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 1, he says to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too, mi- too many and too mighty for us. Come, let's deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. So, in other words, perhaps he's afraid of agitating them. He's trying to be shrewd. He's trying to be clever and to operate by deception. And so he enlists the Hebrew midwives in this plan. He thinks that he can get away with this secret and with his deception. But, of course, the midwives feared God. 
Pharaoh had an evil plan, but those who fear God hate evil. Uh, if you're familiar at all with the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 8.13, which I thought I marked in my Bible, and now I'm just going to have to go by memory. Uh, Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is a hatred of evil. To fear God is to hate evil. And so, of course, they hate Pharaoh's plan. They can't carry out Pharaoh's plan. And so he's, they've, given, he's, they've received this command to kill all the baby boys, but they feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. And this is because even though Pharaoh is in control, Pharaoh's in charge, Pharaoh is the ruler, it is better to obey God than men. And we have that command for us, we have that example rather for us in the Bible, which becomes for us a command in Acts chapter 4. This is an example not of uh, civil authority, of the civil government, but of church authority, church government. But the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 4 tells the apostles at the very beginning of the New Testament church to stop preaching Christ. They find it disruptive. They don't like what's going on. And so in Hebrews, I'm sorry, in Acts 4.18, we read, so they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. It is better to obey God than man. When man commands you to sin, you don't do it. That's just a very simple rule. Uh, it's, sometimes that is a hard rule to carry out, but if you are commanded by a lawful authority to do something which is sinful, well, you don't. Uh, and if, the, if a lawful authority commands you to commit murder, don't commit murder. Uh, that's the, the, thankfully, we have texts like the Westminster Shorter Catechism that points out what your duty is. Like, well, you're supposed to preserve life. You're not supposed to take life. It's obvious and simple, but that's something that we need to be reminded of, particularly uh, maybe not when it comes to cases of murder. There's not often that that comes up in daily life, but with all the commands of God, that just because it comes from a lawful authority, we don't do that. But under those circumstances, then the Hebrew midwives employ a strategy where they use, the, they use Pharaoh's deceptive tactics against himself. Uh, so, they, so when Pharaoh said, when, when all the Hebrew baby boys are being not dead, uh, they, the Pharaoh calls the Hebrew midwives and says, why have you done this? And let the male children live. And so the midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. Which is, I don't know, that's kind of funny. Um, they're vigorous. Uh, short, short labor periods, which, I don't know, probably a lot of the women in the congregation are now becoming resentful. Uh, but that's, that, that, and probably not, right? Like, that's probably not the case. And in fact, it's not the case, right? Because we actually know, the text tells us, that they let the babies live. But Pharaoh's in a quandary, because what can he say? What can he say? Because the, the whole strategy, of course, depends upon deception. It depends upon uh, the, the, the woman not knowing that her baby was born alive. You have to kill the baby at the moment, uh, the moment of delivery, so then you say, well, it's, it's dead, because then otherwise the Hebrew midwives get there and the baby's already born. Well, you can't just, you can't say, like, well, that living baby that you have was, was stillbirth because people are not stupid. Uh, that's, and so 
that, that it, so, so the deception doesn't work, and so Pharaoh's trapped. He can't, he can't say, well, it can't, well, well, the, you, well, you did it wrong. It doesn't work that way anymore. And so by deceiving Pharaoh, they defeat Pharaoh. They defeat his plan. They turn, they turn his own tactics against him by using his own deceitful methods against him. Because God takes care of his own. He works through the means of his people. He works through various means to provide for his people and protect his people. And so those who fear God need not fear evil people because God takes care of his own. And so we see in the second place, as we look at verses 20 and 21, that those who fear God are rewarded. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. God rewards the midwives, literally because of what they were doing, literally because they were deceiving Pharaoh, and literally because they were not killing the baby boys. The people multiplied, they grew strong, and people multiply and grow strong because there's babies, right? So that's, that's the means God used to increase Israel. And not only that, but because of their faithfulness in this regard, the Lord rewarded them. He gave them households, and they multiplied, and their own households thrived. He gave them families as a blessing from Him. And that's an important thing to remember, is that children are a blessing from the Lord, when they're in their 30s and they come back and they mow the lawn for you. But eventually, eventually it does work out that way. Uh, that's, and, that's, and that's, so he blessed the midwives by giving them children. And so that raises a question, I think, for many of us, because take a step back and say, well, okay, slow down. What was it that the Hebrew midwives did? They saved the lives of the baby boys by lying. Uh, what they told Pharaoh was a lie. Uh, I'm, I'm sure, now don't get me wrong, I'm sure the Hebrew women were, were strong women, stout-hearted and vigorous after their own manner, uh, but nonetheless, right, it's, it, the, the text tells us that, they, that the midwives did not do what Pharaoh commanded, that they were, and so this is, this is an action of deceit. They lied to Pharaoh about why the Hebrew baby boys were, were, why they were not killing the Hebrew baby boys. They deceived him. They lied to him. And so that raises the question, uh, isn't deceit a sin? The, the, the ninth commandment forbids false witness. Thou, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. You should not lie. And that's an extremely valid question. That's an extremely valid point, that the, the, the ninth commandment forbids false witness. And so what do we do with a text like this where we have a command from God, that's, we have two commands from God, the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill, and the ninth commandment, thou shalt not bear false witness, that seem to be in competition with each other. And it's, it's, that's a difficult question, and because it's a difficult question, uh, and I'm just the substitute preacher, uh, I'm going to let Chad deal with that in a sermon series that he's going to begin working on uh, next week. <laughs> Go in peace and no more. No, just kidding. He did, he did, you should have, he changed color. Uh, one way to deal with this text, and John Calvin, whom, of whom you may have heard, a uh, big shot in the Reformed and Presbyterian world, and John Murray, of whom you may not have heard, but who is also a big shot in the Reformed and Presbyterian world, uh, as they deal with this text, they both argue that what God rewarded the midwives for was that they preserved life 
but not for the fact that they lied. So they preserved the lives of the baby boys. They didn't kill the baby boys, and that was a reward. And so the Lord rewarded that, but it was sinful for them to lie to Pharaoh, and so he didn't reward the lying. And that looks good, but it doesn't work with the text. It sounds good, but the text doesn't allow for that. Because the text says that their fear of God is what motivated their actions. It says in verse 17, the midwives feared God, and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them. So it introduces their actions, uh, both the action then of not killing the baby boys, but also of deceiving Pharaoh. And in verse 21, when the Lord rewards them, he rewards them because they feared God. And so that fear of God brackets both of those actions in the text, and so tells us that all that they did, they did out of the fear of God. Uh, both, Both the not killing, but also the lying which was a way of preserving their own lives. Uh, and so this is, and so that's, we, we have to read the ninth commandment, thou shalt not bear false witness in the context of the entire Bible. And how does the Bible deal with wicked people who are trying to take lives and how people who are in positions of weakness or people who don't have the same strength as the wicked people or the same authority of the wicked people, how do they preserve life? The sixth commandment, I'm pointing at the screen because we read the catechism earlier, uh, but the, the sixth commandment requires us to preserve our own lives and the lives of our neighbor and to take whatever lawful endeavors are necessary to that end. And it would seem from the whole of biblical witness, this text, but also texts like 2 Kings chapter 6, and there's others as well, that is in times where life is under threat, that using deception to preserve life and to save life is allowed. 2 Kings chapter 6 is when the Syrian army comes to get... uh, um, comes to get Elijah, and his disciple Elisha says, oh no, you can come with me, and, and I'll, I'll keep you safe. And then the Lord blinds them, has blinded the army, and he just takes them into, in, into the middle of Jerusalem where all the, I'm sorry, not Jerusalem, but he takes them into where all the armies of Israel are, are so that they could be, so that they're ready to be killed. Uh, turns out they don't get killed. But that's a deception in order to preserve life. Uh, it is so, so under those times, in those occasions, using deception uh, is not a violation of the Ninth Commandment, that the Ninth Commandment doesn't require us to get ourselves killed or to get other people killed. It has much more to do with bearing witness in a way that preserves and supports our neighbor, bearing, tr- keeping truth in order to, and, and unto those ends. Now, it's, so it's not, don't take this then, as a command or as a, as a loophole to lie when it will get you off the hook, uh, which is the temptation, like, oh, well, the preacher said that I don't have to tell the truth. Right then, now I can And I didn't take the cookie, Mom. Uh, which is the way that there's that tendency to look for that loophole. And it's worth understanding in our text, or worth thinking about in our text, the risk that the, that the midwives took and the stakes of the situation in which they found themselves. It was kill, their, their command to basically kill or be killed, and they were trying to preserve their own lives and the lives of the children. And if Pharaoh really understood the manner in which he was deceived, he didn't feel trapped, then he would 
there, there's not really a question about what somebody like this is capable of doing. Those are the stakes that are involved. They're very high stakes. These aren't the low stakes that we deal with in daily life where we're looking for those loopholes. When you're caught and you're tempted to say, well, no, I didn't do it, or no, you misunderstood, or you didn't quite see that thing, um, where I have the thing about my job as a teacher and, uh, give, and, and just this charade that we've been going through in the last couple of weeks. So I've been giving quizzes and kids who have who are, who are taking the, the test and they have, they're doing this with their hands. And then I come on like a... I don't have a piece of paper. You didn't see it. But yeah, technically I didn't see it and you're failing the test. Uh, that's like, well, you didn't see it, right? I didn't see it. Like, that's a tendency to want to avoid, to avoid being caught and to use deception to avoid being caught by, in this case, a lawful authority, me. Uh, and that's, but that's, 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 and, 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 and the truth is, my students are not necessarily that bright, but, but maybe you're better at lying, uh, at, at evading, but it's still not okay. Uh, and this isn't, and you're not really doing it to help others and preserve their lives. And so don't, we can't use this as an excuse to violate the ninth commandment, but to understand our, perhaps understand better, our positive duties under the sixth commandment. Uh, The Westminster Catechism very helpfully breaks out the commandments into positive and negative injunctions, positive and negative commands, what is forbidden and what is commanded. And so, of course, the sixth commandment is framed negatively, thou shalt not kill. And today I did not kill anybody, yea me. But, But have I preserved others' lives? Have I made others' lives better? What have I done to protect people? And obviously, that's not something that's going to come up perhaps on a daily basis. But when it does come up, there, is some, there are occasions in which you are obliged to do something, to take action, when it is up to you, when that is, it is your moment. There's always a positive side to every command. And so when the moment comes, when you have to fulfill the positive side of the sixth commandment, then deceit can be lawful, deceit can be not a sin under those circumstances. And so what's important to see from our text then, understand, and that's a question that has to be addressed, whether or not deceitfulness is a sin, but it ought not distract us from the main thrust of these couple verses that we're looking at, which is to understand that under, even under these circumstances, that God is in Egypt with His people. God is in Egypt with his people. It's really interesting as you read through Exodus chapter 1, God in one sense does not show up until verse 20. Uh, I'm not saying there is no God in Exodus until verse 20, Uh, but he's not mentioned by name. He's not seen, he's not listed, he's not cited by Moses the author as an actor, somebody doing something until verse 20. He's kind of behind the scenes. And then in verse 20, God acts. God has been there this entire time, and he rewards the Hebrew midwives. Uh, God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. Because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. God acts. God comes in. God rewards because God has been there all along. And the Hebrew midwives did not receive a word of knowledge. They were not guided by an angel who came down from on high to tell them this. Rather, they were in the situation, 
It was a very difficult situation, and so they acted in faithful obedience, and God was with them. God watched over them. God protected them. They feared God and were rewarded, and this is because God places fear of himself and obedience to himself above obedience to wicked, lawful authorities. Those who fear God are rewarded, but those who do not fear God, those who don't fear God, are hardened in their sin. Sin, sin can't be hidden. And that comes back to that sort of obvious thing that there are some sins that are so obvious, like trying to cheat on your history test, that even somebody like me can see it. Uh, but I can't see into your heart. I can't see your wicked motivations. I can't see your intention to cheat on the history test. I tend to suspect everybody wants to cheat on the history test, but that's because I'm a cynical man. Uh, but everybody's sin is not so obvious to me or to anybody else, but God can see that. God can see through deception. Pharaoh has been seen. Pharaoh has been seen by God. I think Pharaoh perhaps understands that he has been seen by God, and so he moves from his secret plot to a very public evil. He says, every son, as he commands, sorry, I I shouldn't have lied that, I shouldn't quickly breeze over the first part of the verse, Pharaoh commanded all his people, went from that secret plan, the secret instruction, to now announcing to everyone this sin very publicly. Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Let's everyone know. Let's everybody know what his plan is. Instead of recognizing what's going on here, instead of recognizing that he's up against the living God, he hardens himself in his wickedness. He doesn't need to feel the need to hide it anymore, but simply goes out and becomes public in it. It doesn't make sense. Uh, is between verse 9 and 10, and where we are at the end of the chapter, Pharaoh has tried several strategies to deal with the Hebrew people. He first, uh, in, in, he says that they'll Let's deal shrewdly with them because I'm concerned about what might happen. So we'll afflict them. We're going to uh, make them work hard and build storehouses and all these other things. But it didn't work. The Hebrew people multiplied, made them work even harder. didn't work. The Hebrew people multiplied, tried to kill the baby boys secretly. It didn't work. The Lord defeated that. The Hebrew people multiplied. He should have realized, he should have realized, shouldn't he, that this is not going to work out for him. His plans are not going to get him what he wants, and yet he persists. He keeps on going because he's hardened in his rebellion and his wickedness against the Lord. And he becomes, and so he simply commands, he uses his power as king to make this command and brings in the whole nation, brings in the whole nation a plan of genocidal infanticide. This is the hardness, the hardness of heart for those who think that they can hide their sin from God, that there is not a God to whom they are accountable. And so that leads us 
to a very necessary conclusion, which is that you need to repent and forsake your deceptive plans. Because there is no distinction between you and Pharaoh, is there? There is that desire, there is that belief, maybe is a better way of putting it, that I can hide the sin, that I can put on a good show, an outward appearance, that nobody can see those things that I do in secret. No one will know uh, what they don't see, and God won't really, won't really hold against me the sins that I do in secret, the, sin, the, the plans that I keep secret, the anger and hatred in my heart, the way that I'm trying to get away with this, that, or the other thing, whatever it may be. Of course, God knows them. Of course, God is entirely aware of them, that you can fool everybody else. And one of the differences, I think, between kids and adults is that, kid, is that adults are much more sophisticated sinners than kids. That kids, like all the sin is out there in the open. And for, for when we see adults at church, like, oh, you guys are really good. It's like, nope, you're just really good at covering it up, aren't you? And so what do we do? Was those sins move from the outside to the inside where no one can see and no one can hold you accountable? You have to openly repent. Come to the Lord and repent of your sins. It is to realize that the God from whom no sin can be hidden is the God who came in the flesh to die for the sake of sinners, to offer himself as a sacrifice in your place, and to go to the cross so that you don't have to go to the cross, was raised from the grave so that you can come into worship, can come openly into the presence of the God who sees and knows all things, and declare his praises because of what he has done for you. That the fear of God in many ways motivates deception. I'm afraid of being punished. I'm afraid that God will see me, so I'm going to hide my sin. I'm going to cover it over. But the fear of God, Proverbs 8.13, leads to a hatred of evil. And so if you truly fear God, then you will truly hate evil and come to Christ. That the fear of God should give you freedom, freedom from that terror and freedom from your fear of man. And therefore, in repentance, understand that God has provided Christ for you. That you ought to obey God because He is God. You ought to obey God because He is your Savior. But that leads, that can lead into an assumption that if I obey enough, well, then I will be rewarded by God. If I'm good enough, then God will reward me. Because being told uh, that God rewards those who obey him out of a godly fear raises a question, well, why am I not being rewarded? And a very reasonable question for a lot of people, because as you look around, there are many who are not 
who do not appear to be rewarded, who do not have full households uh, as the Hebrew midwives did, do not have thriving families. In fact, there are many who seem to be doing quite well in a worldly sense uh, who are not nearly as righteous and, and obeying God and fearing God as those who have nothing. And even worse, that there are some who seem to have nothing precisely because they fear God and obey Him. And so when I say that God provides for those who obey Him out of godly fear, what we need to understand ultimately is that what God has provided for you is Jesus Christ. It is Jesus Christ. Because how is God going to punish Pharaoh? What are the consequences for Pharaoh? For this Pharaoh, it's interesting, we don't really know. This Pharaoh drops off the scene. It's the, the next Pharaoh that Moses goes up against uh, in, when he comes back and he's, he's sent by the Lord to bring the people out of Egypt. And that Pharaoh has a pretty miserable time of it. That Pharaoh, too, who, is, uh, who, who also, the Scriptures tell us, is hardened in his sin and hardened in his heart against the Lord. And how did he suffer for his sin? He said, well, uh, there were plagues, and there's economic devastation, and the loss of all the economic power of, of uh, natural disasters, loss of economic power for Egypt, and it's standing in the world, and even the death of his firstborn son. And none of those, understand that none of those were how the Lord ultimately dealt with Pharaoh. That Pharaoh's was ultimately dealt, dealt with with the Lord because of his sins by eternal separation from the Lord and damnation in hell. And that is what the Lord has set you free from in Jesus Christ. That rather, that rather than what you deserve for your sins, for the ways in which you lie and deceive, Ninth commandment, the ways in which you seek to avoid the commands of lawful authorities, uh, even those sins, those commands that are not violations of God's word, as you seek to, as you disobey because you don't like it. Uh, that's the fifth commandment. Even as you do not work to preserve your own life and the lives of others as God gives you opportunities, that's the sixth commandment. Even as you do all of those things, the Lord has given you forgiveness of sins. He has washed that away with his own blood. And instead, and instead of the punishment that Pharaoh himself is suffering right now, he has given you everlasting life in glory united to our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The temptation is to read a text like this and to look to the rewards in this world. And the Lord is often pleased to reward His people in this world, and there's nothing wrong with that, but that is not ultimately the promise that we look for from the Lord. It is rather the greater riches which we have in Jesus Christ. We have Jesus. We have Jesus now, and we have Jesus everlastingly. Jesus, whom you do not deserve any more than Pharaoh deserves Jesus, 
And yet, he gave himself to you. He has provided himself for you. In him, you really do have all things. And so as you go through life, as your sin is exposed, the temptation is to become hardened in sin, even as Pharaoh was. And if not outwardly hardened, outwardly rebellious, be hardened in your heart. God has not rewarded. I've been good, but God has not rewarded me for the sin of bitterness to creep in, the sin of bitterness against the Lord. But beloved, don't. Don't. Don't harden yourself against your God. Instead, fear him. Fear him in the right understanding of that word fear. Reverence, awe, wonder, love. It is a fear that is knocked backwards because of all that God, this God, the holy God, has done for you in Jesus Christ. Fear him because he provides for you. Fear him because he's provided Jesus our Lord to you. Amen. Our Lord, we give you thanks then for your great mercies to us sinners in Jesus Christ, for the realization that there is none of us righteous, no, not one. And therefore, for each one of us, you have provided our risen Lord and Savior. And so grant to us repentance from all of our sins, we pray, that we may fear you and turn to him and receive your mercy by your Spirit with reverence, awe, and thanksgiving for Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.